Vancha kalpa trubhyascha, kripa asanduya evacha. Patitanam pavanemyo, vaishnavemyo namo namaha. Should we wait for more devotees? No. Just charge into it. Okay. <laughs> So, Hare Krishna, welcome everyone to the sixth lesson of uh, the hermeneutics course. My name is Krishna Kshetra Swami, and I will be facilitating this lesson uh, with help from my friends and from and with help from all of all of you, uh, Vaishnavas and Vaishnavis, um, and I want to thank Urmila Devi for this opportunity to participate. It's always a learning experience for me. I'm seeing a few familiar devotees, but there are others many whom I don't know. So I'm going to enter the world of Shakti Bindu, or PowerPoint. Uh, let's go here. And let's go here. Please let me know if you cannot see this screen. Otherwise, we will proceed. Um, I understand that you have completed lesson number five on the subject of putting principles and qualities into action um, by employing hermeneutic tools. So today's lesson number six has to do with doubts and uncertainty. It says doubts and uncertainty among devotees um, to distinguish from doubts and uncertainty among those whom we may be reaching out to, uh, persons of all sorts. So the emphasis is on our own um, practice, our own communities. So we can start with some Mangala Charana. Oma Jnana Timirandasya, Jnanan Janashalakaya, Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha, Shri Chaitanya Mano Vishtam, Stavitam yena bhutale, svayam rupakadamahyam, dadati svapadantikam. Nama om Vishnu padaya, Krishna prishtaya bhutale, shimate bhakti vedanta swamin itinamine. Namaste sarasvate deve, gauravani pracharine, nirvishesha shunyavadi, 
Paschatya Deshatarine Vancha Kalpatarubyas Chakripasindubya Evacha Patitanam Pavanevyo Vaishnavyo Namo Namaha Jai Shikisha Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shiva Sadi Gora Bhaktavinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So we begin with a couple of verses which I believe you have in your um, course book, a couple of sort of meditational questions, really. Etan me sangshayan krishna chetum arhasya sheshata tvadanya sangshayasyasya cheta na hyupapadyate Arjuna says to Lord Krishna, this is my doubt, O Krishna, and I ask you to dispel it completely. But for you, no one is to be found who can destroy this doubt. And from the Bhagavatam Parikshit Maharaj, Aptakamo Yarupati Kritavan Vajagupsitam Kim Abhipraya Etanna Sangshayang Chindhi Suvrata O faithful upholder of vows, please destroy our doubt by explaining to us what purpose the self-satisfied Lord of the Yadus had in mind when he behaved so contemptibly? This question comes uh, near the end of the Rasalila, the final chapter of the five chapters of the Rasalila. So there's a core question uh, to this lesson, and it's a kind of what to do question. What to do? What do we do when it is hard uh, to agree or hard to find an answer or an understanding that is really satisfying, uh, satisfying either for ourselves or for others? So as a what-to-do question, we're looking for we're looking for a method, but I want to say that, as you may have hopefully understood by now from previous lessons, uh, this is not what in, in English, in, in America in any case, they used to call paint-by-number. This is not a paint-by-number uh, process. Uh, there is a procedure we understand, we examine and reflect on qualities and principles, and then we, we apply appropriate tools. Yes, all of that is there, and yet, 
it's not that we can necessarily expect, uh, you know, the box, the, the jack-in-the-box answer to come up. The Gita in a box, or how was it? Jack, jack-in-box, jack-in-the-box Gita. Um, but we may ask ourselves before we get into a process... Uh, why is it that understanding may elude us? So this becomes actually part of the self-examination process. Um, possibly there are inadequate, in, inadequacies in our own qualities, in our own sadhana, in our own motives, in our willingness to change, in our spiritual qualifications in general, our adhikar for understanding. It could be that we are going through the process, the hermeneutic process as it's uh, described in this course, but we might be using the wrong tools or not the best tools uh, for the purpose. So we may have to re-examine which tools we're using for the task. It could be that we are making an assumption which is not appropriate for the situation, and that assumption is that there's a right answer, uh, or there's one, one answer that everyone agrees on, uh, regarding right answers, I've just been reading uh, some passages from Srila Sanatana Goswami's Brihat Vaishnava Toshani commentary on the 10th canto. And he, he has mm, repeatedly in any one given commentary of one verse, he will have numerous he will suggest numerous alternatives for understanding a verse or for understanding a particular um, word or phrase. Another possible problem could be a fear uh, of plurality of views. And we might even fear a plurality of views in what we're calling the hermeneutic boundary, and I'll say something about that very soon. It could be that we are impatient. We want everything yesterday, and we want to be able to feel I understand everything. It could be because um, we feel threatened by not feeling the control of the sense of understanding. Another possibility could be uh, in the area of what's called cognitive dissonance. Here's a Shastric statement, or here's a set of statements 
which all sounds very good, but I have different experience. Um, you know, just start with descriptions of the cosmos, the universe in the fifth canto of Bhagavatam. How does it relate to our experience? Um, so, no doubt there can be other reasons uh, for understanding eluding us, but uh, this gives us a, at least some idea. Yeah, so then we come to the idea of hermeneutics as establishing boundaries. It may be, and maybe this is a, a, a general rule, uh, that we cannot come up with an absolute, simple understanding of things uh, from Shastra, from Sadhu, from Gurus, from Sadhus and Guru or Gurus. But we may aim for getting uh, something like a hermeneutic boundary, a boundary within which uh, acceptable understandings can be found, outside of which um, they would be unacceptable. So I'm giving one example here that meanings derived must lead to a vision for increase of service to Krishna, not a decrease of service. So that would be kind of a simple, straightforward boundary that we can imagine. Uh, as 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 a it's also a kind of criteria we can we can question the understanding that we have with respect to uh, this criteria, which is also a kind of boundary. Yeah, so as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, here we're focusing mainly on ourselves, uh, individually or collectively in our communities. Um, and communities take, of course, different, different, different forms. Uh, within our society, it may be within a family, it can be within uh, a temple, um, communities online, and, of course, a special characteristic of ISKCON is that it is a global mission, and so certain things we are concerned about um, with this consideration in mind. We want to have understanding which is somehow applicable for everyone in the wi wider community. So uh, the process, as we've seen, is about um, paying attention to principles, of which um, we have 24 principles identified, paying attention also to qualities. Um, but I've selected somewhat arbitrarily, I think it's six of the uh, 
qualities, sorry, not the qualities, six of the principles that may be especially relevant. Um, one could certainly apply other principles, perhaps all of the principles, but just for the sake of our lesson I selected, first of all, the one which hopefully you read uh, the explanation for I wrote something and also Hari Parshad Prabhu wrote something. So uh, number 14 of the 24, insights emerge through apt dialogue, through mediation, resolution, reconciliation of paradox, apparent contradiction, and multiple views. I could pause and elaborate on each of these, but I want to sort of run through them and then uh, we can proceed with uh, other points. The 15th principle is that Shastra mercifully reciprocates with those who study it and compassionately reach out to others. Uh, Implied is that uh, a person who engages with Shastra has some faith in Shastra. And perhaps we all have this experience that Shastra becomes luminous to us um, when we are engaged with it uh, in a serious way in, with the right attitude. Uh, the 16th principle, the meaning of Shastra is directly revealed to one with full faith in Guru, Shastra, and Krishna. So, um, sometimes we speak of Shastra in an inclusive way as including Guru and Sadhu, Sadhu Shastra, Guru Vakya. And sometimes we consider Shastra as um, that which is written in texts. Um, we're accustomed to seeing texts which are printed. Um, however, Shastra can take other forms. It can be orally heard Shastra. In fact, that's really the Vedic tradition. The early Vedic tradition was that uh, one was hearing. And so we always have this understanding of the emphasis being on hearing. Um, but the meaning of Shastra being directly revealed to one with full faith in Guru Shastra and Krishna is uh, a conviction that we want to cultivate, certainly. Number 17, by purifying the senses, bhakti removes the conditioning that clouds and distorts perception. Mm. Yes, we understand, as Srila Prabhupada would say about seeing God, what is your qualification to see God? <laughs> First, there must be purification. And we understand this means purification of the senses. Rishikena, Rishikesha, Sevanam, Bhakti, Ruchate. 
then as a result, what happens? Bhakti removes the conditioning, uh, which is clouding our perceptions, our minds. And of course, mind is identified as one of the senses. So when the clouds are dispersed, then we see things as they are. Number 18, realization, requires virtue. Uh, the Sanskrit word for virtue is actually guna. And we usually think of gunas as, you know, the, the three gunas uh, which we want to overcome. Uh, but the word can also mean virtue. Realization requires virtue, personal transformation, and the assimilation of knowledge by experience. Assimilation, uh, we may or may not uh, be familiar with this classical Vedantic terminology. Well, of course, shravanam, but then there's mananam, and then there's nididhyasanam. This is the procedure that's given in standard uh, Vedantic culture uh, discourse. First there is hearing, then there is mananam, reflecting on, and then nididhyasanam has a sense of assimilation, or I like to say digestion. Uh, one can actually take the, draw energy from uh, the nourishment of what one has heard and reflected on. Um, and this is knowledge assimilated by experience. And we understand what is experience. Uh, specifically, it's the experience of service. Um, and that's why we understand um, one cannot really understand Shastra unless one serves. And then finally, the highest truth aims at the welfare of all. Oh, I wanted to, sorry, I wanted to back up to 18 and uh, just recall that one of the six qualities that we want to cultivate for a successful culture of uh, hermeneutics is openness to change and transformation. So we have an 18, realization requires virtue, personal transformation, and the assimilation of knowledge. So transformation, um, or <laughs> transubstantiation, perhaps, uh, is we want to be ready for it. So we may be coming to Shastra with certain presuppositions. And if those are uh, not helpful for realization, for transformation, then we, we want to be able to confront that and be ready for change. Okay, then, then we go on to tools. And again, I've selected a few, uh, I think I found six or maybe more. Um, yeah. 
eight, maybe. So, um, Shastric statements can be understood in terms of tattva, rasa, or both. This is a, a common stumbling block for devotees um, because one is probably looking at, at a particular statement or a case in terms of one or the other and not grasping that the other of these two may be involved or may be better set aside. Uh, so t I might want to amend this, tattva or rasa or both. Maybe that's something we should put in the, um, in the notes for revising our work. Um, yes, it may be either or or both. And often this point makes everything clear um, when we understand this distinction. A second tool, number 10, is which texts or t which text or texts provide a higher level of authority. This is technically called Shastra Taratamya, um, hierarchy of texts. There is hierarchy. This is recogni recognized by the Acharyas, and um, this can be quite important for, uh, for understanding whether or not something is important or relevant for us. Uh, determining this, I should say, also is uh, typically the task of senior Vaishnavas, of the guru, of sadhus. Number 23, consider one's own cultural and individual perspectives along with one's life experiences. I think this is hugely important. Um, we don't come to Krishna consciousness with a clean slate. Um, we don't um, walk in the door of the temple and leave all of our luggage behind. In fact, we may discover luggage that we didn't know we had <laughs> as we engage in the process of uh, Krishna consciousness. We may surprise ourselves that the cultural, well, cultural baggage is a kind of negative term, but um, the cultural uh, resources also that we come with. Number 28, understanding requires jiva daya, uh, compassion for the jivas. Um, if we are thinking otherwise, then we may be very much missing the point. Number 29, prayer, surrender, and waiting for revelation. Tate uh, nukampan susamik shamano. Bunjana evatma kritambi pakam, waiting patiently and expectantly is the idea of that prayer. 
Oh, yes, I had this underlining feature. <laughs> I forgot to use this. Okay. Uh, then, let's see if this works. Ah, yes. Uh, 31, sorry, 30, purification and immersion, hearing, meditation, applying and praying. This is very much like the previous one. Um, just bringing in the idea of purification as a result of this hearing and meditating. And immersion, uh, this, the, the notion of immersion, we often use the, um, well, we have the ocean of the nectar of devotion. We want to immerse ourselves and uh, to enter into that ocean is wanted, not that we are simply standing on the side, not that we are simply licking the jar of honey. The next one, 31, is uh, repetition, repeated study for personal transformation. This uh, calls attention to what has, I think, very appropriately been called religious reading, or we we might want to say devotional reading, which is that we're not reading just once, we're reading once and then again and then again and again uh, throughout our lives. We read 12 cantos of Bhagavatam, we start again with canto one. And each time we read, there's something more, uh, there's more enrichment, deeper understanding for everything that we read or hear. 32. Explain with the right motives and correct reasons. One's own spiritual transformation is what's uh, at issue, of course. And, uh, and so this means looking at our own motive, motives uh, and, and having, having reasons which are aligned um, with our own spiritual realization, real. Our, we want to be real uh, in spiritual life. And I like this one, number 33, choose the most merciful meaning. Um, there can be different ways of understanding a text, some of which may be, let us say, less merciful. Um, but the followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu are pursuing the path of being most merciful, um, or we may want to say followers of Nityananda Prabhu. So, well, uh, then... Broadly speaking, I just wanted to remind us of Lord Narayan's instruction to Lord Brahma, which is that we should constantly and in all circumstances search for the truth. Etavadeva jigyasa, tattva jigyasunatmana, anvaya vyatarekavyam yatsyat sarvatra sarvada. Um, not that we think at some point, now I've figured it out. Now I've got it. 
Now, just to throw a, a wrench into the conversation, I couldn't resist to include this quote from Samuel Beckett. Don't look for meaning in the words. Listen to the silence. Silence says. And this reminded me of Lord Krishna's statement in Bhagavad Gita, Monam Chaivasmi Guhyanam, <clears throat> of, uh, of secrets, of conf confidentialities. I am. Mona, I am silence. Okay, uh, this is what I wanted to present just for now as introductory comments. Um, where do we want to go from here? Are we okay with time, Armila Devi? Yeah, we're doing we're doing great with time. If you wanted to have before, we don't need to go into our explorations for another, you know, like twenty minutes. If you want to have some open questions and and discussion, this would be a great time. Okay. Um, yes, let's open. Let's see if anyone has something you want to maybe comment or or a question. Um, yes, please, uh, Venu Vilas Das. Hare Krishna, that was from Maharaj. Hare Krishna. So I have a question regarding this cognitive dissonance. Mm. So generally when, uh, see, when our experience, life experiences go in a different way, so we try to reconcile uh, with the Sastric statements, but a lot of energy goes into that, like you know, experience is different and what we are uh, reading is different. <laughs> so yeah, sometimes in the presence of great souls, it appears like, uh, like all the statements of Shastras are correct. But when we are alone or when we are <laughs> with our own selves, it appears it is quite different. So how actually can you show, shed some light? <laughs> Uh, you have put it so well. <laughs> uh, just the fact that uh, you have expressed this, I think, is purifying for all of us. Um, yes, everything just makes perfect sense, according to Shastra, um, as we hear it uh, from, the, from the great Vaishnavas when they speak. And then, um, then... The event is over, and we go back to our ashram, and uh, and the clouds gather around us, and it comes as you also pointed out. It can come in in the form of mm, of uh, this kind of dissonance uh, with our experience, and. You also put it nicely that we put a lot of energy into trying to uh, bring our cognition into harmony rather than dissonance. And I think that's, I mean, that's a huge topic. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the whole process that we do. We're trying, the general principle is we're trying to practice to see everything through the lens, uh, with, through the eyes of Shastra, Shastra Chakshu, 
Um, that is our aim. So if we're clear on the aim, that is certainly uh, a major accomplishment. And a second point I would make is that it's also a process in which we're asking ourselves, is there something I should adjust in my um, in my practice, in my way of acting, in my ways of thinking? Um, and if so, how how can I go about doing that? What is it that needs to be done? Um, a third point I would also say is um, co cognitive dissonance is perhaps becomes kind of uh, second nature for us as devotees, especially perhaps uh, living as we do in this modern age where so much of what we hear about as being you know, traditional ways of doing things, traditional ways of relating amongst, amongst uh, people and so on, we just don't see uh, so much ha has been changed by, by modernity, as, as they call it. And so we, we live with a, a high dose of cognitive dissonance, and in a certain sense, we, we need to, we may not be comfortable with that, but we need to just allow it to be there and be sort of as an ongoing project to work on it. As you said, it's a, it can be a lot of, we can, it, we take a lot of energy to do that, but, but what else can we do? That's our job. That's our, that's a necessity that we find in spiritual life. Now, someone may say, therefore, better I don't hear Shastra. <laughs> Uh, and then I won't have any cognitive dissonance. <laughs> and I will just chant Hare Krishna. Yes, Prabhupada said you can just chant Hare Krishna. That's also all right. So these are some thoughts. Uh, Urmila Devi, did you want to add something? No. Radhika Nagara Prabhu. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Um, I was wondering, it would be nice, very nice to hear a, an elaboration on all the principles, but particularly I was thinking of the Jivadoya principle, 28. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could a little bit on it. Um, it's hard for me to elaborate much on because um, that's what I'm most weak in <laughs> myself. <laughs> Uh, the word is, uh, the, the key word is doya, uh, compassion. So to, f to, to actually have compassion, that's what, if I can sort of hide behind Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he says, kabe habe bolo se dinamar, kabe jive doya, hoi be udoy. When will that day be mine that mm, I will in a spirit of compassion for all living entities, 
take up this message, uh, this order, Sri Agyataha, what is it? Charane Tomar. I will take this up uh, and and spread spread this prachar karane uh, prachar. Forgetting the line. So kabe habe bolo. That's to to have the aspiration again. That's fifty percent, uh, and and to integrate that aspiration into our understanding. In other words, our understanding of Shastra is not meant to be uh, just for our intellectual gratification. Uh, I remember this is something uh, Radhi Graman Prabhu explained once in a lecture. I think you'll be hearing him, you already have, and you will again in your next, next lecture. Um, accumulating knowledge, which we are not using, is not healthy. Just accumulating, you know, I know this, and I know that, and I know the other thing, uh, is not healthy. If there is, on the other hand, an understanding, I'm learning this, I'm uh, uh, gathering this, or I'm bringing together this understanding, I'm solidifying, clarifying my understanding so that I can share it with others, so that I can um, be an instrument to illuminating others, then that's a good thing. So, um, as a tool, if we think about um, about tools, the the general question or the form, sorry, um, most of the tools as you go through them, most of them you'll see are in the form of a question. And so, in this particular case, one can raise the question: Am I? understanding this, or is it possible to understand this, whatever it is, in such a way that it's going to be beneficial for others. That's how I would put it. Um, uh, I, I could add something to that if please, you'd like. Please, please. Um, I'm going to our supplementary materials, two seventeen, page 217, so those of you who have that handy, and I'm just going to share uh, my screen here. So in uh, in all cases, with with everything in hermeneutics, we have in the, in the supplementary materials of extensive evidences that these things come from the Vedas and from our Vaishnav practice and explanation. So this section was particularly written by our SAC member, Judah Karma Prabhu. And I really like that we start off with saying that if we're offending other devotees, then we, we're not going to be able to understand Shastra. And here we give the method for employing the tool. And basically that this tool should always be employed with whatever we're trying to understand. 
that we're endeavoring to be kind to others, especially those who've done harm for ourselves. And I like here that if some statements are both controversial and difficult, one may particularly evaluate one's kindness towards those who hold views that oppose one's own. And doing this would help us to practice vada and sambada instead of japa and vitanda, that we're kind to those who disagree with us. Mm. And we have explanations here. Um, really nice one from Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Those who think that devotion to God and kindness to living entities are different to each other and act accordingly in their life will not be able to follow any devotional culture. Their attempt is only a semblance of devotion. Mm. And we have a lot of quotes here, especially as I say by Judah Karma Prabhu. Uh, so this is something that that any for any of the tools or principles or qualities that we have some more questions about. Uh, I know the supplementary material is 284 pages. So I know it's it's very voluminous, but you can use it in an encyclopedia type fashion. It's not meant to be a book that you just sit down and read cover to cover, but that you can go through and say, oh, I'd like to learn more about about this. I'd like to learn more about that and uh, and go through and, and find the particular uh, tool or principle that you want to learn more about. Hmm. Yes, thank you, thank you. Uh, Krishnadas Kaviraj Pramu, Haribo. Hare Krishna Maharaj, thank Hare you so Krishna. much. And my obeisances to you. Obeisances uh, I was to you. thinking that, uh, and and one and understand how we're going to deal with in our culture generally we we learn that we are coming to krishna consciousness and learning the absolute truth and so a lot of times we've been taken and especially in the early days i used to go out there and i used to blast everybody with the absolute truth i've got the absolute truth and we still have that uh culture within iskon where um, you know, and, and I see that this course is changing that culture where people, uh, devotees, draw a line in the sand and, and just say, you know, this is it. Uh, I have the absolute truth. You don't. And, and that's all there is to it. And, 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 and yet even sometimes if, if we're about to discuss something, they say, but don't, don't bring hermeneutics into it. And it's simply because they haven't studied it, <laughs> but, uh, you know, because, but they think it's some kind of word jugglery or something. Yeah. And, and I just wanted you to speak to maybe that change of culture and, and that change of mentality that, that is so essential to really the, the basis of hermeneutics. Hmm. Well, as, as you as you pointed out, uh, I think this is precisely one of the aims of this course uh, is to help to change the culture uh, to not to not to reduce or take away from the idea that there is absolute truth, but to change the culture of how we um, how we talk about. <laughs> How we how we talk about the absolute truth in ways which are um, more attractive, I would say. Uh, this is certainly one of one of the aims of of this course. Um, so that's a bigger topic, also. Uh, 
taking our qualities that we consider, the six qualities, one is a discerning search for the truth. And I think here the key word is discerning. Um, it's, it's not about just grabbing a few quotes and putting them, shooting them at someone. Uh, there is there is more to it. In fact, this is something I've I've come to appreciate myself and perhaps all of you over the years. So the more that we, the more that we hear and learn from Shastra, the more um, nuanced we appreciate that it is. If because we are looking at uh, more and more, actually they speak in the. Philosophical literature, there's a whole area called philosophical hermeneutics, and they speak of the hermeneutic circle. And the hermeneutic circle, as I understand it, is sometimes the word horizon is used, that the more you know uh, in a wider field of something, the more you understand which um, which comes around to your starting point. What you know helps you to understand what you don't know, and then what you didn't know helps you to better understand what you already thought you know. And and the circle is is uh, is widening. And um, to this, I would point out something I always. Uh, found helpful when I first heard it, first read it. Um, Krishna, Sri Krishna is the supreme absolute truth, and Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur also wrote one time, he is the supreme r relative truth. <laughs> he, is, he is so so perfect in all respects that he is also perfect in relative respects. <laughs> okay, we have uh, just a few more minutes. Paneshwari Lakshmi Devidasi. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Prabhu, please accept my humble obeisances. I just have a question about in our... Um, Responding to doubt and change and uncertainty in there, it describes that um, a sense of newness, mystery, and adventure are essential to a personal and spiritual philosophy, personal spiritual philosophy. Spirit may be eternal and unchanging, but it is not static. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean exactly? You know, it seems contradictory to me. <laughs> changing, it's unchanging, but it's not static. So how? <laughs> it's... Yeah, nice. Uh, it's a good question. It's not static, it's ecstatic. <laughs> Actually, the word Brahman, uh, one understanding of the word, which we usually think of it as this non-moving, you know, impersonal. Actually, Brahman comes from a verbal root, which means to expand. Uh, and so... The absolute truth is 
another word uh, that might be used is dynamic. It's not static, it's dynamic. And we understand, of course, um, the highest truth is uh, the Supreme Lord, Sri Krishna, who is never alone, who is always uh, together with his associates, exchanging um, ecstatic and dynamic uh, devotional um, exchanges of love. And that is is perpetually going on. So Lord Krishna's rasa dance is going on as we speak. You know, so the absolute truth, the ultimate truth, it is not, it's not, uh, it's not static, it's ecstatic. And it's not static, it's dynamic. And uh, this points back to ourselves that we, as persons, have a dynamic relation uh, with, with the Lord. And what we're learning is, or relearning, we're learning how to engage in that dynamic relationship. Hare Krishna. Do you want to add to that something, Urmila Devi? Um, I, I think you put it very well, but I, if I, since you asked me, because God is a person and not an object mm -hmm. and an ever-expanding person, therefore understandings of him are going to differ according to different persons. Like it said that the form of the Lorkapiladev says, Lorkapiladev, that uh, Krishna appears in the form in which he's worshipped. And when Krishna married the 16,100 wives, each of them saw a slightly different form according to how they appreciated him. And Sanatana Goswami says, and when all the Vishnus appear before Lord Brahma and the Brahma Mohan Lila, that God has unlimited qualities and each jiva likes a particular quality of God. So the fact that our understandings differ and change and deepen, to me, is strong evidence that God is a person. If, if, doesn't, if one doesn't want one understanding to change and deepen, then one should just merge into the Brahman, where everything is, is not like that. But that's, again, to me, this is strong evidence that God is a person, and person has, has mystery. In fact, without mystery, there's no fun to a personal relationship. <laughs> there was some analysis in romantic relationships that once the mystery is gone, the relationship dies. Mm. <laughs> you know, we always like finding out new things about ourselves. That's why people like to, you know, look at astrology and palmistry and even about themselves. And so Krishna is always expanding. The, Krishna likes the mystery of learning more about us. <laughs> you know, he enjoys the unfolding relationship with us. I just see this as part of, of rasa and part of, of love, that things are, are ecstatic and things are, are dynamic and things are unfolding. And there's always some more mystery, you know, like, like Radharani says, oh, who is that boy? <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen him before. 
on the little love. He says, oh, you've seen him many times. No, no, he, somebody knew. Yat avadi mama chaita krishna padaravinde nava nava rasadamadudyaktam rantumasit. There is ever new rasa in the spiritual world. It's ever new. It's, um, there are surprises. <laughs> Even for Krishna, there's surprise, or especially for Krishna. Okay, so uh, shall we proceed with our, with our first uh, little exercise? Um, let's see now, how does this work? Yeah. So, yeah, the idea now is to sort of give this a try. Um, and I believe part of your preparation for this was to find something that you wrestle with or have wrestled with in the past. And so now the idea is just to uh, take a few minutes. And I think we're going to do this individually. Uh, and you may want to make some notes, and we may discuss about this later. Uh, but for, the, for now, we're just taking, what, 10 minutes? Yes, 10 minutes, and I'll, I'll put up a timer. Okay, so 10 minutes to uh, reflect and possibly make notes on this. Mm. You're choose specifically, you're choosing uh, some difficult statement or some topic uh, <clears throat> that you haven't been, been able to resolve or uh, that took years for them, for you to resolve. And uh, it should be something that uh, is about, for you personally, of concern. Uh, or it, it may be something having to do with ambiguity or apparent inconsistency. Okay, so you can go with that for now. That's exploration 6.1, 6.1, yes. which is on page 56. So you can just do choice one, or if you have time, you can do choice one and choice two. Hmm. Okay, we are back, and uh, I believe our next our next task follows immediately from the first, uh, which is that we enter into groups and we identify because well, how many. Of us are there altogether? There's there's forty, so there's going to be what was the plan about ten in each group? Ten in each group, and they'll each in that group they should choose a leader and a statement, 
mm-hmm. and then identify the Bhakti Shastri, Thomas and Herman, who we're going to demo them. Yes. <laughs> yes. Bhakti, so there's three, there are going to be three performers among, within each of your groups. And uh, one of the performers is the Bhakti Shastri, uh, the person who has some Shastric statement to present. And then we have um, Doubting Thomas, I call him Sankshrayatma. Um, He's or she is expressing some doubt, some concern. And then we have uh, Miss or Mrs. Mr. or Mrs. Hermeneutics. Herman, well, I guess it would be he. Hermeneutics. (laughs) His first name is Herman. Uh, Is then going to respond. And we want to keep in mind uh, the the spirit of this discussion. Um, Particularly, this is not debating, and it's not about coming up with quick fixes. Uh, it's, It's more about going deeper and seeing how, with the help of Uh, the principles and the qualities and tools could be one principle, could be one quality, one tool, how we can go deeper in reflecting on a particular statement of Shastra or particular statement uh, of the Acharyas. And uh, the first thing it will be necessary as soon as you've identified who are taking these roles uh, that the administrator among you uh, informs through the chat our overall administrator. Does this mean uh, Rukmini Devi should receive? Uh, Anybody whose name starts with SAC. Okay. SAC people. Right. I see there's uh, Sudama Gopa Das also. Like that. So hopefully that's clear. How much time do we have now for this? Uh, five minutes max. Just for identifying everyone. Oh, no. They'll have 10 minutes. Um, to identify to dis- identify everyone and discuss their statement. Uh, And then after that 10 minutes comes our presentations. Is that right? Yes. Is that going to be enough time? (laughs) Uh, It should be enough time. And Radhakrishna Prabhu, those are not really SAC members. They're just people who've agreed to help administer. So I'm a SAC member, as is Maharaj. Rukmini is a secretary of the SAC, but the other people who are admins for this teaching are just people who, kind-hearted, generous IT souls (laughs) who volunteered to help with the administration. They're not actually members of the SAC in any capacity. Okay. Um, But we should have five minutes for each group to to do their little role play. Right. Okay. 
And uh, I should have also explained that the administrators need to know the names of who's going to be performing so that uh, they can be spotlighted as they give their wonderful presentations. Okay? So then uh, everyone's just going to be kind of divided up by some some system or some non-system? Yeah, that's already, they'll do that. Our admins will, our volunteer tech people will do that. Okay. All right. Is that all clear for everyone or clear enough? Clear enough for now. You can <laughs> work out the details from here on. I mean, it could be Rukmini and I could each uh, join each group briefly to just make sure things are clear if you're willing why not okay sounds good off we go oh, oh that's right we have to do a performance first okay I've, I forgot yeah I forgot about this okay so we're we're now we're we're going to give an example of this. Uh, the three of us. Um, so Rukmini Devi is Shastra Devi, and my name is Sangshayatma, Sangshayatma Das Swami, and Urmila Devi is Shastra Shastra Pramaniki Devi Das. I'm a Herman. A hermit. <laughs> I'm, I'm a hermit. <laughs> okay. Yes, so please go ahead, Rukmini Devi. Yani kani cha papani brahma hatyadikani cha tani tani pranashyanti pradakshina pade pade. Those who circumambulate Srimati Tulsi Devi step by step destroy whatever sins they have committed, even the killing of a Brahmana. Indeed, indeed, this is what Shastra says. Now, somewhere deep down inside, I have to confess, uh, I wonder, is it that easy? Is it that easy to just... I mean, I've been walking around, I've been pacing around Tulsi, well, whenever I'm in temples, in the morning program, I've been uh, happily... Uh, pacing around Tulsi Devi and chanting this mantra and um, trying to understand how how it could possibly be true. <laughs> hmm. That that's a, a really good question. It's it seems kind of like hyperbole or or something. I mean, almost ridiculous. You just walk around some plant, right? And then your arm is gone, even if you killed a Brahmana. Wow. So let's see. Let, let me look at the hermeneutic path. And if I look at the hermeneutic path, ah, let's find that here. Oh, wow. I, I've got to be ready for some transformation to answer this. And I think I also have to be comfortable with uncertainty and paradox. And I really like this thing 
about I've, having sufficient I, I, experience. I've been having uncertainty and paradox for the last uh, <laughs> four decades. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, there we go. But concrete experience, I, I think, is a real key here. Do I have some concrete experience? And I mean, I'm cheating a little bit because I knew you were going to ask this question. And so before our session today, I, I'm right next to Tulsi's greenhouse and and somehow or other I'm her pujari. So I chanted my morning gayatri in her greenhouse asking for revelation. Uh-huh. Right. And this, this idea of prayer and revelation. So, so then what I came up with from part two of a hermeneutical path, I looked at the 10 tenets of Gaudiya Siddhanta from page 18 in our, in our participants handbook. And I was trying to see, is this prayer a statement of universal, eternal and transcontextual truth? And I concluded that it's universal and eternal, but contextual. And the universal and eternal part of it is that Krishna has his superior or spiritual energy. And so Tulsi Devi's part, she's a contextualization of that because she's one of his spiritual energies. And I was also looking at to achieve love of God, one should practice devotional service and the living entities in the spiritual world are liberated. So this would mean if I engage in devotional service with a representative of the spiritual energy, I can also get liberated. So I understood this as a contextualization of some, of an eternal and universal truth. Mm. All right, then I tried to figure out what principles would be most helpful to understand this. And when I'm looking at the principles, I, I don't know if this is going to help you or not, Thomas, but when I look, I'm sorry, I can't remember your Sanskrit name. But I, you know, <laughs> some shy can call me, you can call me Sangshaya for short. Sangshaya, <laughs> Sangshaya, yes, yes, Sangshaya Swami. I don't know if this will help you, Sangshaya Swami, but <laughs> I'm looking at, at principles and, uh, oh, goodness, I'm on the tools page. Sometimes these books can be so confusing. Um, so scripture provides the theory and methods for its own understanding. I thought there might be something in scripture that helps us understand this. And then 17... By purifying the senses, bhakti removes the conditioning that clouds and distorts perception. I thought if I keep walking around Tulsi, that's bhakti. And by doing that, it might remove my my clouds. At least it's a hope here. And 18, realization requires virtue, personal transformation, and the assimilation of knowledge by experience. What's my experience with Tulsi? All right. And then 20. Wow, I really like 20. Texts are understood according to the mood of in, and intent. And this is what segues me into the tools. Let me find, where's that page again? Oh, yes, eight and nine, pages eight and nine, yes. Okay, so tool number three, seek guidance from Shastra. That relates to the principle that Shastra provides the methods for its own understanding. Okay, so I'm going to do that. And with that, I remembered, now again, I'm cheating a little bit here because I knew what this was going to be. (laughs) Not all of our groups are going to be able to do this. And and I'm also right in the middle of teaching (laughs) on Friday. So, you know, I've got a little advantage here. But I thought about this statement that Prabhupada makes in NOD 13 that I've shared. 
In these statements about devotional service, sometimes it may appear that the results have been overestimated, but actually there is no overestimation. Some devotees, as revealed scriptures give evidence, have had immediate results by, some associ- by such association, although this is not possible for all. So mm. finding that according to tool three, and then I was also tool 13, look for a statement of equal force or meaning. So many statements in the Shastra will say just one chanting of the holy name of the Lord mm. or one time, you know, taking Charnamrita. I mean, I was there with Prabhupada in 75 where he said, Ajamil didn't have to say Narayana, Narayana, Narayana once was sufficient. <laughs> so there's all these other statements of equal force or meaning. Then 23, tool 23, consider one's own cultural and individual perspectives. So, you know, I'm coming from a Western culture where nobody worships plants. And, you know, that, that may factor into my, how I'm looking at these statements. Mm. Along with one's life experiences, and I do experience that by serving Tulsi, I have become free, at least of some of my anartas, right? And then I thought tool 33, <laughs> choose the most merciful meaning. You know, that the most merciful meaning is, wow, Krishna will free you from even having killed a Brahmana. <laughs> if you just show respect to his spiritual energy and his dear devotee. Like, that was such a merciful meaning. Well, yeah, so I can end there. I had a few more, but I hope that does that help at all? It it does. It kind of it's kind of a shower of Shastric uh, (laughs) hermeneutics. It'll take me a while to digest. I have I have more doubts about this, but I think considering the circumstance, I'll have to keep keep them to myself for now. Uh, But it is an ongoing project, isn't it? Uh, to dispel doubts. Um, meanwhile, I'm going to keep uh, circumambulating Tulsi whenever I get opportunity, maybe sometimes more than just three or four times. <laughs> I need extra I, I, help. Didn't you also say that we could do an empirical experiment? Well, okay, I didn't want to bring that up, uh, but yes. Well, it's more of a question. Would this be appropriate in in relation to Shastra, is this, you know, an unfair way to test Shastra? But I had an idea that we could convince um, some prison to install Tulsi in the prison, and uh, the, the inmates would be advised that they're welcome to circumambulate Tulsi, uh, and we can explain to them why this is beneficial. And then there could be some uh, interviewing and some statistics about, what is it called, revidism? Recidivism. Recidivism, that's it. Uh, recidivism that, you know, if that would be reduced as a result of Tulsi installation in, in prisons, I think then we'd really be on to something for, uh, for our outreach. <laughs> But that's for another lesson. <laughs> okay, so I think we're ready for the admins to unspotlight us and start the breakout groups where you're going to plan this choose your three people and plan it.
Hare Krishna, everyone. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. I'm going to... Hare Krishna. Now, I'm, I'm going to completely be on the sidelines of this, so I welcome you to uh, go from here. Um, maybe I should, just because I know you, Krishna Das Kaviraj Prabhu, maybe I can ask you to take the reins, to the organizational reins, if you like. Would that be all right? Yes, you're muted, but... Uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a pleasure to serve, so I'll uh, <laughs> I'll try to assume that role. Thank you. It's a larger group than I thought it was going to be. Uh, <laughs> I kind of thought we'd only have four people, but it... No, the idea is uh, there needs to be selected. There's on, there's four groups, and then oh. and then you need to decide amongst yourselves who's going to actually, um, you know, do this little performance. Okay. And then work out the content. All right. So... Um... Should we take volunteers first for uh, who wants to be Bhakti Shasi Das or Dasi? <laughs> Does anybody want to sort of uh, speak the absolute truth? <laughs> <clears throat> I know that was not enough time. <laughs> I know from the group that I was in, in, in any case, um, it's an interesting exercise in, um, how to say, becoming spontaneous, I guess. So whatever you have come up with and uh, whatever inspiration comes to you on the moment, uh, I think now we can begin with presentations. Do we have group num numbers? Yes, yes. We have group one, two, three, and four, and our okay. admins are prepared to uh, to spotlight. Okay, I see. Bef maybe before we go, is this a question, Vilas Prabhu, or practical point? You need to unmute first. Yes, Maharaj. So for the question that uh, was given to us for discussion, so without using the uh, hermeneutic tools also, we are able to I mean, answer the question directly. For example, lust controls us, so we are not responsible for... Uh, we're we're, we're going to do this in a role play, so so let's not yeah. do this now. That, that, can, okay. that can be later discussion. Okay, <clears throat> thank you, Maharaj. Mm -hmm. So then uh, we go to group number one. Is that right? Yeah, the admins will spotlight them. Okay. And you'll have to unmute when you speak. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm just going to speak very quickly. We didn't have time to to really you know, do this very well. But I think I'm going to become um, Herman. We, did, we didn't have time, so I'll be Herman. And uh, with uh, Shamala Mataji, would you like to double up as the 
Bhakti Shastra, Shastri. And then Aditya Prabhu, would you like to be Thomas? That means you're giving an opposing view. Sorry, we're taking this time now. Can okay, we? So, so let's get started. So our uh, point right. okay. that we selected sure. was okay. Mantra 8 uh, on page 82, where it says the Lord gives everyone whatever they want. Right. And uh, the main point is like, okay, if the Lord gives everyone whatever they want, then why is there a question of poverty? Why is there so much wrong okay. happening in the so world? The next person... People have unlimited desires, and why is those desires not being fulfilled? So that's the point. Okay. So Thomas says, if the Lord were to give everyone everything, then why do we have this idea of poverty and physically challenged and uprisings and man against man? So, Thomas, what would you say to that? Shamala Mataji, would you be able to react to something? Yeah, I was gonna. That's I was gonna be Thomas. So that was the point. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Just the, um, that we see, like I see in my own life, that people who have wanted something for a long time, like let's say wanting a child or something, but Krishna doesn't seem to fulfill that. So that's the doubt that comes up. That's a doubt. Yeah. Okay. So. If we look at principle 17, by purifying our senses, bhakti removes the conditioning that clouds and distorts perception. And if we take tool number 29, then it says prayer, surrender, and wait for revelation. And tool number 30, purification and immersion by hearing, meditating, and applying prayer, then we would probably come to a platform of where Krishna would give us what we wanted, but it can't just happen, you know, automatically. It has to, to, there has to be an input from our side, and then there would be input from Krishna. Would you so. like to say something, Aditya Prabhu? Um. Yeah, so first of all, like suddenly 10 minutes was not enough. But uh, yeah, so the I think the main point that we were discussing was like Shastric evidences directly to support or, you know, to go the other ways. And one of the quotes that came up was Ananyas Tintayantamam, where 922 Krishna says that he provides, you know, whatever we lack. So that kind of supports the statement that, yes, the Lord gives everyone what they want. But I don't think we have uh, we have completely cleared out the <laughs> the the opposition to this. Shamila's point is not cleared. Because yeah, the opposing quote was um, from Bhagavatam, tenth uh, canto, where eighty uh, eighth chapter, where Krishna says that he takes away everything from those he's a, that he's um, favoring. So that was the Thomas the doubt as well. So we didn't fully finish that. Okay. I think we've done the best we can. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Okay. Hare Krishna. Thank <laughs> you. Yes, the time is quite short for doing these. Yeah. Um, we're just dipping our toes in, I think. <laughs> so then the second group. Here... I see two of you. Were there? Where's Krishnadas? Yes, oh. oh, Krishna Chan. Okay. 
Hare Krishna. So Krishna Chandra Prabhu is playing the role of uh, the Bhakti Shastri uh, teacher. So he's going to read out the statement. Kripamaya Prabhu is going to play the role of uh, the doubting Thomas and I'll be playing the role of Herman. Please take over, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Uh, we are in page 88. Stones, they are alive. There are trees, plants and stones that cannot move, but still they must be considered living entities or spiritual spark. The soul is present in bodies like those of trees, plants and stones. They are all living entities. Purport of C.C. Madhya Lila 19144. So Srila Prabhupada, in his purport, he mentions that uh, we living entities cannot give up. Uh, it's not at all possible to give up desires. So that's a, it's a symptom of a living entity. If we are not don't have desires, then we will be like a dead stone. That's my uh, comment from the Shastra. You have to... Uh, you'll have to Hello. unmute. You're muted, Prabhu. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Hare Krishna, my name is Bhakta Thomas, and I have a doubt that um, our experience is that stones are dead, dead. They don't have um, signs of life. They don't move. They don't grow. They don't do anything. Sometimes they fly, but uh, only when we throw them. So <laughs> they don't have desires. And Sri Prabhupada says in uh, the one purport in the Bhagavatam that a living, a living being cannot uh, be vacant of desires. He is not dead stone. So when they don't have desires, they do that, don't do anything. They're just dead. So this is a controversial in my... Yes, Prabhu. Prabhu, that's a very nice question. In fact, it's very right. In our direct experience, we never find stones showing any symptom of life, but we should imbibe this, the quality of what we study in hermeneutics of fidelity to text and tradition. We cannot dismiss the statement of the Shastras of, of, of Sri Prabhupada's purports as irrelevant. Let's try to imbibe that mood first of trying to be uh, you know, loyal to the text and tradition here and see which principle is going to help us in understanding this apparent contradiction? So I would like to invoke principle number two, which says how Shabda is the highest pramana, and three, where scriptures provide the theory and method for its own understanding. Now with this, uh, and of course, very important principle, which other found is number 17, Whereby purifying the senses, bhakti removes the conditioning that clouds and distorts perception. So we are trying to understand a scriptural statement based on our direct different senses. So with this principle in mind, let's see which specific tool can help us understand this or uh, resolve this contradiction. So I, I like to invoke uh, uh, tool uh, number two, just considering the pramanas. So if you actually look at this very state itself, Prabhupada clearly is distinguishing what are called as stones and dead stones. So in both the evidences, the counter evidences that have been given, Prabhupada is very clear calling these as dead stones, hmm. right? So there are people and there are dead people. So likewise, Prabhupada is very <laughs> clearly saying stones and dead stones, <laughs> right? So... 
So, and while in the previous, in the statement which Krishna Chandra Prabhu read, Prabhupada is comparing trees, plants, and stones. So, clearly indicating that there is a difference. Now, if we go back to the pramanas of the shastras, we understand that what is life? What do you mean by living? Anything that supports life. Now, we hear uh, from the, the the shilpa shastra. Some of you might have heard from the, the from the famous stories of the making of Mayapur Nursing Dev Temple. There's a specific uh, mention of the, the Shilpa Shastra, a quotation which says that how deities are to be made from living stones. By living stones, it is explained that what it means is these are stones that support life. Apparently, there is a kind of an insect that can survive inside that stone. So it is supporting life. In that sense, it is a living stone. Of course, uh, we can also extend this understanding because from, again, going back to the Pramana of the Shastra, we hear how they uh, originally they were even uh, flying mountains, which uh, Prabhupada also mentions elsewhere. So, which means there is support from other sections of the scriptures also, which is supporting this argument. So, I think considering this and the paucity of time, we will end our discussion here and hope that clarifies your question, Prabhu. Thank you, Mr. Herman. Uh, maybe it was a trick, but uh, you convinced me. Really? Thank you. I have. Thank you, Prabhu. I must say, I must, I must ask uh, whether you, Nimai Lila Prabhu, are a lawyer, because it sounds like you are trained as a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Making the <laughs> distinction between stone and dead stone. That was a good one. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, group number three. Hare Krishna. Yeah, um, in our group, um, Bhakti Sastri and Radical. Nagar Prabhu is um, standing as the uh, Amen, and Savadrik Prabhu is the Dark Thomas. So I'll read the um, Sastric um, text. So we take a, a Sastric text from Appendix 2, Chapter 9 of Bhagavad Gita B. It says, Someone who commits terrible sins can also be a devotee. So what you're saying, if I understand you, Salika Prabhu, that if a person commits great grave sins, horrible sins, he can still be a devotee. I have a very hard time understanding that because when I read in Bhagavad Gita, I read verses like um, unless one is free from sin, how can he be a devotee? And a person who is sinful, he doesn't have the qualities of a devotee. Qualities of devotee is also mentioned. Many verses are there describing what are the colors. Adambitam, Amanitam, Adambitam, Ahinsakshantar, Arjavam, Achrayupasanam, Socham. Many verses are there in Bhagavad Gita that just don't jive in my mind. How can someone be sinful and be a devotee? It just doesn't make sense to me. Okay, thank you, Salvadik Prabhu. I, I understand that what you are saying is, is coming from, from your reading of the scriptures. I'd like to apply some of the hermeneutical principles that we, we can use in order to 
to reach to an understanding, a deeper understanding of this statement, which actually is coming not, not just from Prabhupada, but Prabhupada is quoting Krishna himself. So I think it's worth trying to see what actually is meant by the statement in according to the uh, some of the qualities that we need to develop in order to be able to understand the Shastra is uh, like fidelity to the text and tradition. So this is Krishna himself is speaking, Apichet Sudara Charo, that even if one commits the most abominable activity is considered uh, uh, to be, uh, is considered saintly. And not only that, we have the commentaries by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, where he says that Arjuna had the same doubt that you're presenting. Arjuna himself, he, he you know, he was, he was saying, how is it possible that someone may be having sex with the Guru's wife and he's still considered saintly? And, and, and Krishna, his eyes become, become like red hot, like fire, like saying, like, yes, he's my devotee. You should shout, you should claim that he's my devotee. And say, well, how people will understand this? So you get cartels and you go to that place where they're discussing and shout that my devotee will never perish. So this is Chris's statement. So we, we certainly have to uh, approach this from the perspective that we may need some purification. And in that sense, I will I would like to, to go to principle 18, that realization requires virtue, personal transformation, and the assimilation of knowledge by experience. So we have our preconceived, so basically, if we're not able to accept something that the Shastra is presenting, Maybe it is because we're seeing things through the through the filter of our own um, ego, and not through the through the filter of the of the of the scriptures. And we have also principle sixteen: the meaning of sakt, of shastra is directly revealed to one oh. with full faith in Guru Shastra and Krishna. So, is this this interpretation that you're giving us of the scriptures? Is that bringing you closer to Krishna? Is it making your, your, your heart softer to the teachings of the Acharyas? Because we find the statements not only there in Bhagavad Gita, we find the statements all over the place about the, the saintly, that the, the best, the, the, the perfection of any human being is actually to, to develop bhakti for the Supreme Lord. So if someone has bhakti and, uh, you know, that's, that's his qualification, and he if he's firming his determination to 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 um, to serve the Lord, whatever imperfections that may be there, they will disappear in due course of time. They're like little spots on the moon. So also there is a, the the principle here about that Shasta Shabda is the highest praman. I don't want to sound like a, like a, like you know like hitting you with the Bhagavad Gita verse on the head, but. You were also quoting, you know, verses from Bhagavad Gita as well. So in the same scripture that you're quoting, that there are so many saintly qualities described, Krishna himself is establishing that principle, that a devotee, he may make mistakes, and we should oversee that and see what is his, his faith and determination. Hare Krishna. I don't know how we're doing for time. <laughs> if there is room Thank for, you. for a response. Thank you. <laughs> I think our time is pretty much up, uh, but this was very nice. Thank you. Well done, well done. Um, if I may add a, a reflection, which is not directly Shastric, uh, to this last point, this sort of um, 
we see statements which are we we see shastric statements which are inclusive and we see shastric statements which are exclusive and i sometimes think of shastra as being like like a funnel on the broad open end uh, shastra is saying you know Krishna, Krishna is for everyone. Everyone can become a devotee. Everyone can practice bhakti. And then as you, as you continue understanding what is bhakti, then uh, the channel gets narrower and narrower and narrower, and it becomes something very, very fine. So that pure devotion then we get elaboration. What is pure devotion? The whole nectar of devotion is elaborating. What is pure devotion? Um, so when we see such a contradiction, I find it personally helpful to th consider this. Is it that we are seeing two different ends, so to say, of this funnel which Shastra is? Shastra is... Um, Shastra is dynamic, and it's um, facilitating accessing everyone to Krishna, and at the same time, it's showing how to become uh, completely pure, completely qualified. So I think that's, um, yeah, just a sort of general theme which I found helpful to understand. Okay, sorry, we, we have another group. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I, we're just going to start Bhakti Shastri. Avrutam jnana metena jnani no nitya vairena kamarupena kaunteya dushpurena nalena cha Thus, the wise living entity's pure consciousness becomes covered by his eternal enemy in the form of lust, which is never satisfied and which burns like fire. The senses, the mind, and the intelligence are the sitting places of this lust. Through them, lust covers the real knowledge of the living entity and bewilders him. This is the doubt which I have that if this, this lust, which is this desire is so powerful, how can we be held accountable for something which I don't have control over? In fact, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita in 714, it is very difficult to overcome this maya. So if that is the fact, then why should a conditioned soul be held responsible for any of his actions? That is my doubt. Yes, Thomas Prabhu. So we will be using some hermeneutical tools to uh, resolve this uh, doubt. So first of all, we are going to use the quality, uh, which is, I mean, we should have the quality <clears throat> of fidelity to text and tradition uh, to be able to resolve this kind of doubts. That means we should, whatever we are speaking should be uh, according to the uh, scriptures that we are reading and the Siddhanta also. Uh, so in one of the places, we have quoted from one of the places like, uh, uh, so Bhakti Shastri Mataji, she quoted from one of the places. But in the same Bhagavad Gita, it is also explained. Uh, 
other points which are required to resolve this doubt. So here we are also going to use the principles <coughs> of hermeneutics. That second second principle, Shabda is the highest pramana. And uh, third principle, scripture provides the theory and method for its own understanding. That means whatever doubt has arisen in your heart because of one statement can be resolved by another statement of the same scripture, meaning the overall scriptures. We are going to use these principles. Uh, and uh, so basically in Bhagavad Gita itself, it mentioned that Yayata Vishayan That means how the lust actually comes out meaning by meditation on the sense objects, uh, it will start uh, in the subtle form and gradually it will become uh, evident and it will uh, reflect in our activity. So as we said that once the lust overcomes us, we don't have any control. But at the same time, we have control at the, uh, at the beginning of the lust. That means uh, the contemplation stage, we can stop it. So according to this uh, uh, sloka, so we can say that uh, uh, we have control over lust at some point of time. And also the lust that is there in the heart has beginning in the previous lives. That means according to the previous activities, activities in the previous lives and uh, earlier this life, we have developed that lust and it is dormant in the heart. So that means we ourselves are responsible for the lust that is uh, developed in the heart and also uh, that is coming into action. We have some control over it. So I think uh, it uh, resolves your doubt. <laughs> thank you. <clears throat> all right, Krishna. Thank you. Thank you, all, all three of you, all f uh, and all four groups of three. Uh, I think the main point, in a sense, is to s to say that we're getting our feet wet. We're seeing a little what can be done with the help uh, of, of understanding or applying principles and tools and uh, keeping in mind the pursuit of these qualities. Because our this particular lesson is about uh, dealing with doubt within ourselves and within group, I want to, well, first of all, quote Krishna in, I think it's one of Prabhupada's favorite verses to lecture on from Bhagavad Gita, chapter 7, verse number 1. Mayi asaktamana parta yogam yunjan madashraya asangshayang samagrangmang yata gyasasi tatshrinu. Hear from me how by practicing yoga you can know me in full, free from doubt. So it's an invitation that Krishna gives, and the key is, he says, hear from me. Um, and so a question we can put to ourselves when we find ourselves uh, in situations of doubting is, am I hearing from Krishna? Uh, am I hearing from Krishna, or am I hearing from, you know, who knows where? Uh, Krishna invites us, hear from me, and then he gives a specific result, asangshayang samagram, complete freedom from doubt. Uh, but I think there's one more point to make, and that is we should not be fearful or in anxiety about 
doubt. Uh, let the doubts come. Uh, there can always be doubt, if not within ourselves, someone, somewhere in our environment, there is doubt. Um, there is doubt whether God exists. But that leads into uh, the next lesson, which is outreach. Uh, I just want to uh, also call attention to time consideration. I like uh, the point that Srila Prabhupada makes about his own life and his own doubt that he had when he was visiting uh, the one of the Godiyamats where his Guru Maharaj, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur, was present. And um, I forget which one it was, but suddenly a, a devotee, I guess a brahmachari, shouted out, Shop, shop, there's a snake. And Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur heard the call and he came out and he said, Kill it. Kill the snake. He gave that order. And Prabhupada, at that time, a relatively, as we would say, new devotee, <laughs> said, uh, uh, he explained later, he, he was doubtful. He was surprised. He always thought, Sadhu means, you know, ahimsa, he would not harm even a snake. <clears throat> but he didn't say anything. But that was his doubt. And he had that doubt with him for some years before he came upon the line in one of the prayers of Prahlad Maharaj to Nrsingadev. Modeta sadhu rapi vrishchika sarpahatya, that a sadhu is happy uh, when a snake or a scorpion is killed. When he read that, he was immediately freed from his doubt. He understood, oh, okay, this is what is in Shastra. But my point is that this was some years later that this was clarified for him. So similarly for us, uh, we should not be in anxiety. It's a lifetime process. We are, we're all learning uh, all of the, uh, the teachings of Shastra. And um, we can be patient with ourselves and at the same time apply ourselves as best as we can with the help of all of the books of Srila Prabhupada, and with now some assistance uh, from the hermeneutics program, hermeneutics course. So, yes, that's what I would say. Uh, Urmila Devi, do you want to add some concluding words? Uh, just uh, to let everyone know that uh, next week we're having Gopal Hari Prabhu, who's going to be teaching about outreach. And then lesson eight brings everything together. For lesson eight, you need to complete all the explorations before the class. We will not be doing those in the class. Please complete them all before the class. Lesson eight is when we're really going to go deep and we're really are going to get some, which, you know, like today's little role play was, was something not very deep without prep. But for lesson eight, it will be very deep with prep. So uh, please come for that. Amaraj, 
Uh, did you want to end now or do you want to, uh, I mean, anyone can leave now, our, our time is up. Uh, did you want to end now or did you want to take some more time for open questions? We could keep this open maybe another 10 minutes if you if you want to. Um, unless you have. Yes, my only hesitation is I think I have guests who have just come. <laughs> so maybe you could take, the, would, would you be able to take questions? I, we can just end for today then. Okay. I have another class coming up that I have to teach pretty soon. So, okay. Uh, thank, thank you so much. I mean, this is, uh, you've taught this several times and each time it just gets better and deeper and more. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Maharaj. Thank Maharaj. Patitanam Pavanebio, Vaishnavibio, Namo Namaha, Sor Premanande, Hari Hari Bo.